Peace to be with you. Good morning and welcome to Sojourn. Welcome to 2017. Uh, I am incredibly grateful to see you all here with us this morning together as a family. Uh, the best way to start a new year. Uh, my name is Cliff. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, I preach on holidays. All right. So, uh, all right. That's it. So let's, uh, let's do this together, all right? We don't have a B-team music because we're awesome with music around here, but we got B-team with preaching, okay? Uh, but really, really grateful that you guys are here with us this morning. We're kicking off a new sermon series uh, for the next three weeks, all right? Short, short sermon series called First Things First. Uh, one vision, one master, and one purpose, all right? So this week, we're gonna hit one vision. We're in the book of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' words uh, as he was teaching to uh, the people in his day. And uh, he gives them very practical and helpful advice. And so it's pretty easy to understand. It's not complicated, uh, but it's uh, just because it's common sense doesn't mean it's common practice, right? And so uh, we need to dig into these words and uh, that's what we're gonna do for the next three weeks, Matthew chapter six. So, um, it's a new year, right? New year, new you. Most of us do what in our performance-oriented culture for a new year? What are we supposed to do? If we don't do it, we're supposed to do it. Resolutions, right. But I quit doing that, right? Because I failed and I'm scared of that whole like measuring stick thing. And so uh, I stopped, you know? And some of us do that. We still act like we kind of do. Like if we did do it, this is probably what would be on the list, right? Uh, we would stop doing these things and we would start doing these things. But the reason it's so hard is because change is hard. Change is hard. Uh, we can stop doing things, we can start doing things, but if we just modify our behavior, right, lasting change uh, does not occur. Uh, we, will, we will fall short unless we're willing to reorder our lives. True change is the result of a reorientation, a reordering of our lives, a rethinking, if you will. Romans chapter 12, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible says this, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you. One of the reasons New Year's resolutions are so hard is because we don't allow, we don't allow ourselves to change the way that we don't, what am I trying to say? We don't change the way that we think. We don't reorder ourselves. So the work of transformation doesn't happen because transformation is from the inside out. It's not from the outside in. And in order to change, we have to be willing to see what is most real. And that's difficult to do in a world where we're so focused on what's here and now. We have to lift our heads, have an eternal vision, a heavenly vision. A heavenly vision is essential to heavenly living. So as we lift up our heads and have an eternal perspective, an eternal vision, our eyes will be open to the beauty and the wonder of God's love. And that's how we will experience eternal change and, and, and true change. So how do we live with our heads up in a heads down world? That's what we're gonna talk about today. If you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's word from Matthew chapter six, verses 19 through 23. Jesus says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths 
and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we come to you as your children this morning, um, dependent upon you, dependent on your spirit, dependent on your word, dependent on you to change us from the inside out. And God, we recognize, we realize, as we have already sung this morning, that change does not happen in our lives unless we lift our eyes to the mountain and look to you as our help. So Lord, may we do that this morning by your grace and in your mercy, hear this prayer, amen. You can be seated. So Jesus says, hey, there's two ways of looking at reality, right? We can look at our life, we can look at reality with our head down, the accumulation of stuff here on earth, treasures here on earth, or we can look at our reality with our heads up, the storing up of treasures in heaven, where moth and rust or vermin, whatever term you prefer, do not destroy. I love sports. I know a lot of you love sports. And in Kentucky, we especially love one sport, which is, thank you, good job. Don't, don't say horse racing. We'll get to that later, okay? Uh, but basketball, all right? Horse racing's cool, but basketball is life. And um, one of my favorite basketball players, Steph Curry, right? One of the things that makes Steph Curry such an amazing basketball player and an amazing point guard particularly is that Steph Curry always plays with his head up. He does drills all the time to keep his head up. I played a lot of basketball when I was a kid and that was my biggest problem, keeping my head up. I had little special glasses and goggles I had to wear during practice in order to keep my head up. But any athlete will tell you this, whether you're a quarterback, you're a swimmer, you're a ping pong player, whatever your sport is, um, you gotta know where the field, you gotta see the field. You gotta know where your opponents are. You gotta know where your team is. You gotta know what's going on if you're gonna be successful. And the same is true in this life as well. And that's exactly what Jesus is calling us to here in Matthew chapter six. He says, lift up your eyes, get your heads up. See things from an eternal, from a heavenly perspective. Live life heads down, you will accumulate more stuff and you'll have a lot of treasure on earth. Live life with your head up. You will look past the present, past the here and now, into the future, into a future economy with the whole thing in view, the full view of what's going on. So as we long for, and as we endeavor in this spiritual journey that we are on to live lives with our heads up, with an eternal, with a heavenly perspective, Let's look at three contrasts, three contrasts between living heads up and living heads down here on this earth. Heads up with the kingdom of heaven in mind, heads down, storing up for ourselves treasures on this earth. The first contrast we're gonna look at is the eternal versus the temporary, right? The eternal, the future, something yet to come. 
That's what God teaches. Life with God is an eternal life. It is not temporary. It is not just here and now. That's living with your head down. You see, we were created for everlasting life. We were created not for fleeting pleasures, not for the here and now, but for a future day, for a hope that is coming. Everything you own here on earth is prone to break. It's prone to decay and loss, right? It's called entropy. Exhibit A, maybe you got one of these for Christmas. Probably not because you all probably already had one, okay? So, but exhibit B, you know that feeling, the devastation, right? It's like slow motion when you drop it and it's going face first onto the ground. Get a case for real, okay? Those things cost like $700. Do yourself a favor, get a case, all right? Uh, but then you'll drop it in the toilet and it won't matter unless you have an iPhone 7 because it's waterproof, okay? Um, but we all know, we all know how devastating it is when the precious thing, the most precious things to us break or are taken away. The nicest of homes the nicest of gear, right? If you're a camper, you're all your Patagonia stuff or whatever it is that you're into, North Face, okay? It breaks down. The most amazing cars, they break down. They're temporary fleeting pleasures. And if they don't break down, your kids will break them, right? Taking down our Christmas tree, right? Like three ornaments, man. Gosh. Ornaments are not forever. My mom wants to think they are but they are not. But this idea of fleeting pleasure or fleeting earthly things is all throughout scripture. Uh, Psalm 49 says this about those who have great earthly wealth. For when they die, they take nothing with them, right? Their wealth will not follow them into the grave. My dad's translation was, you've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse, right? In this life, they consider themselves fortunate and are applauded for their success. They are successful. They are fortunate and they should be applauded. People who boast of their wealth, though, don't understand that they will die just like animals. There is fortune, there is applause attached with great wealth, but you don't take that to heaven with you. That will be left here on earth. Proverbs 23, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. In the blink of an eye, all wealth disappears for it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. This is saying you, you get a million dollars and suddenly you want $5 million. You get $5 million and suddenly it's not enough. Our pursuit of wealth and success is, is temporary. It's fleeting. It's unattainable. It's elusive. Perhaps one of the best contrasts of this eternal and temporary uh, thing we have here in scripture is, is in 2 Corinthians. Paul writes this, though our bodies are dying, right? Temporary. Our spirits are being renewed every day, eternal. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever, eternal. Temporary circumstances producing eternal results. So we don't look at the troubles that we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen for the things that we, we see now will soon be gone. But the things that we cannot see will last forever. Everything seen is temporary. Here for a moment and gone. Everything. But here's the good news. There are some things that are unseen 
that are eternal. They are not temporary. They are here forever. They will always be. And Jesus is saying, eternal investments are secure investments. Get your head up. Take your mind off the things of this world. Earthly investments are temporary and fleeting. And we invest in what we love, right? But it's hard to love what we don't see, what we are unwilling to look at. So of course we won't invest in it. Our bank accounts tell us something about our hearts. Our calendars tell us something about our hearts. For where our treasure is, that is where our heart is. And perhaps the greatest deterrent to generosity with our time and generosity with our money, the greatest deterrent to that is that we, see, we have this illusion that this earth is actually our home, that this is it. But as I said earlier, life with God is eternal life. We are not home yet. We are, as the scriptures say, sojourners in this land. That is why we have that name for our church a reminder, a constant reminder that we are not home yet. This is not all there is. Let's live for something eternal, not the temporary. Let's store treasures in heaven. This is not our home. We are sojourners here. May God help us lift our eyes to view the eternal. And as we lift up our heads and have a heavenly vision, our eyes will be open to the beauty and wonder of God's love. And that's how we will be able to reorder our lives in such a way that we experience lasting change. We keep our resolutions. The second contrast in heads up living versus heads down living is the relational versus material. You see, life with God is a relational life. We are hardwired as human beings. We are hardwired for soulful connection, relational connection. You're designed for relationships. You are created for community. But it is a distortion of the curse that we now experience in our relationships, the evil trinity of fear, shame, and guilt. And so we look for ways, we look for ways around it. So we we settle for something different than soulful connection. What we do is we settle for the short circuit of instant and material relational gratification. But because souls are eternal, it seems that pursuing true and deep soulful relationships is the essence of what it means to store up heavenly treasure. People are heavenly treasure. Isn't this what Jesus is saying when he says in Luke, he, talks, he tells a story about a lost sheep. He says, it, he, he says the shepherd leaves the 99 to find the one. He tells a story of the lost coin where the lady and all of her neighbors come and they search and they search and they search all night to find the lost coin. He tells a story of a lost son and a father who waits and longs for his son to come home. And when his son hits the end of the road, his father is still waiting, still longing, and he runs to him. People are God's treasure. They ought to be ours as well. We ought to see the world. Part of lifting our heads and seeing the world from a heavenly perspective is seeing it as relational versus material. Why is 
Why is this so hard? Paul calls it the ministry of reconciliation. He says, we're ambassadors of reconciliation. We are literally speaking for God, saying, come back to God. He, calls, he tells us that relational, uh, the, the business of a Christian is a relational business. But what's the greatest deterrent to relational connection and a ministry of reconciliation, as Paul calls it? I think it's because we're afraid of vulnerability. We're afraid of vulnerability, right? We don't wanna take the risk of relationship. Relationship is very risky. We've gotta protect ourselves. We have this fear, we have this shame, we have this guilt, we have to protect ourselves. We can't open ourselves up to the risk of relationship. That's too hard and too scary. And that's called vulnerability. Rather, we preserve, we protect. And this is not a new problem for humans. This has always been this way from the moment the curse happened, from the moment the sin entered into the world, it destroyed human relationships. Adam and Eve hid from each other because they were naked and ashamed. They saw each other as different and they couldn't couldn't connect anymore. They had to hide. And then that was passed on to their sons. Cain killed his brother because he was ridden with guilt and he was hot with anger. And thus we have this human existence in which we protect ourselves. We hide from one another. We deal with our fear, our shame, and our guilt in ways that are unhealthy and not meant to, not the way they are supposed to be. It's incredibly difficult to live with a relational heads up in a material heads down world. How do we do soulful connection and relationship in a world that is literally begging us, twisting our arms to create false realities and become addicted to the disembodied experiences of social media and pornography and gaming and the digital world? According to Huffington Post, the coolest tech gift of 2016, virtual reality. It's got the word reality in it, but it's not real. (laughs) They're tricking us, all right? And we fall for it. We are addicted to it. I am, I've got my phone right here, right? As soon as I'm done preaching, I'm gonna look at it, right? We're addicted to it. So let me just focus on one of these things for just a second, the social media thing. I'm not focusing on it to condemn you. I don't want you to feel condemned. I want you to hear an invitation to something new, something different. And I am going to listen to the invitation with you because I am guilty. I have Twitter, okay? I deleted Facebook, but just put it back yesterday, okay? (laughs) I'm not kidding. Okay, so we're gonna listen to the invitation together. I'm not condemning you. Social media, is cra- it's crazy how it impacts our lives. And some of you are like, oh, it doesn't, I don't have that. Okay, it's, it's affecting you some way, all right? Just listen and hear the invitation. In our culture, of course, we, we, this is one of the primary ways we lower the risk of relating, right? This is one of the primary ways that we deal with the challenge of vulnerability is social media. That's how we protect ourselves. We create something that's not exactly a true 
uh, picture of what's going on, or we're, we, we justify it by saying, well, we don't want to be Debbie Downer. Let's just put our happy things on social media, or we share all of our sad stuff, again, because we want, we want to create some sort of, again, false reality. We're not fully honest about ourselves. And we'd rather text than talk, right? I mean, that's the way we live. My parents, they're in their 70s, are texting. It's insane. I didn't think I would see the day. And they're upset about their smashed screen on their phone. It's nuts. But that's the world we live in. But here's two issues. There's a lot of issues, but here's two. One, we don't really know people, all right? That's a problem. We don't really know people. We settle for the false realities that mask true loneliness and true selves. And we let ourselves off the hook because we let the person, that's, the, the, the person that we see seem real instead of looking past it and knowing that there's a real person there. So we quit getting to know one another. And the, the second thing is we never learn to be comfortable in our own skin right? We use the backspace button a lot when we text and when we post on social media because we're so uncomfortable with saying what actually is in our mind and heart because we don't want to be judged or we know it will be judged. So we have to think it through, right? So we, we, we get uncomfortable in our own skin. We don't say what we really think. We, we get greedy with our words. If we can't say it in 140 characters or less, we don't say it. And if it's not pithy enough, we don't say it. So my challenge to you, our invitation is let's make friends, real, true, face-to-face friends. Let's stop assuming that people have friends because they post a bunch of pictures on the internet. We are a lonely society. I feel lonely sometimes. I know you do too. Let's make friends. We are hardwired for soulful connection. We are, not, we are not designed for the short circuit of social media. Let's be, be more curious, right? Let's be more curious about each other. Reclaim conversation. That's the second thing, right? Like I said, we learned to we learn to not be, we, we aren't comfortable in our own skin. We're afraid that we're gonna say something and it's gonna be judged. So let's reclaim the conversation. Let's, let's do better at just speaking to one another without thinking it all the way through. My dad always said, think before you speak. And I think that's true, right? All right, but let's, let's not go too far and let social media inform how we have conversation. Let's be willing to talk to one another. And sometimes we do this in the name of listening. I'm just gonna listen, I'm not gonna talk. Well, you know what? It's hard for me to be your friend when you don't talk, all right? Relationships take a lot more than 140 characters. And I know some of you are introverted and that's cool and I get that. I'm an extrovert, you're an introvert, we can still be friends. But, but I want to encourage you to share, don't let social media spoil who you are and what you bring to the table in a relationship. Relationships need you. They don't need your false disembodied reality of social media. All right, that sermon's over. Do we view relationships from a heavenly perspective? That's the question. Do we really believe that God calls us to take the risk of loving people who look and talk and smell and eat and worship different than us? 
Are we helping others in their spiritual journey as ministers of reconciliation? Are we pointing people to Christ intentionally? Or do we just hope it happens because God is sovereign? If we live with a relational heads up, we will see people as God created them in his image, longing for something, longing for a relationship, and we will point them to Jesus. When's the last time you had a spiritual conversation on purpose with your coworker or with a neighbor that wasn't just an accident? As we lift up our heads and have a heavenly relational vision, our eyes will be open to the beauty and wonder of the people God has put in our lives. And we we will live into the relational way that God has designed us. We will reorder our lives around the gift of community and friendship. The third contrast, living with our heads up in a heads down world, maintaining a heavenly vision requires that we lift our heads to the supernatural versus the earthly. Now the supernatural is a little different than the eternal. Eternal, think storing up treasures in heaven. Think future economy, right? Supernatural, let's think in the here and now. You you see, for a Christian, most of our realities are unseen. They're immaterial. You can't see them and taste them and touch them and feel them. It's supernatural. Life with God is a supernatural life. It's not of this world. Colossians says this, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Maintaining a spiritual, excuse me, a supernatural worldview, just as an eternal worldview or a relational worldview, maintaining a supernatural worldview is vital to the health and growth of every Christian. What I've been learning from this text over the last few weeks as I've been studying it is that if I wanna maintain a relational worldview, an eternal worldview, a supernatural worldview, if I wanna set my mind on things above, then I have to keep my eyes healthy and clear. That's what Jesus says. Right after he says, store up treasures in heaven, get your mind on things above, right? He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then light within within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? One author says, if you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. But if you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, Your body is a dank cellar. Let's not pull the blinds and the windows of our hearts and souls by closing our eyes to the amazing glory and beauty around us. And that's one of the most, the greatest deterrents to living with a supernatural mindset. It's it's our inability to order our lives in such a way that the ordinary becomes extraordinary where a blue sky actually makes our day better, where a rainstorm actually doesn't depress us, but we we appreciate something beautiful about it. It's it's where my my three daughters who don't stop talking ever, right? They're talking right now, I guarantee it, all right? 
it becomes, that becomes an extraordinary gift rather than part of the curse or something that frustrates me. One author says it like this. The kingdom of God is not some marbleized Jerusalem that we build out there somewhere. The kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven is among us, around us, it's within us. Look to the world of a flower. Look at a loaf of bread. Life's magic, miracle, passion, and promise are gifts that fall right into our laps and find their way right into our hands. We have so many gifts, we just don't see them often. Remember, one of the reasons that New Year's resolutions are so hard to keep is because they require a reordering of our lives. If we wanna experience true change, if we wanna keep our heads and our minds set on things above, we have to keep our eyes clear so that we can see and live in awe of what is most real. We can't reimagine our lives in the eternal or relational or supernatural realities if our eyes are covered up. I got into horse racing just a little bit, okay? When I first moved to Louisville, and it's still a thing I do once a year at Derby, right? Um, but I went to the track one time, it was a rainy day, and I noticed this jockey riding off the track and he had like five pairs of goggles hanging around his neck. And I was like, what's going on? I just didn't, I didn't know what that was. I didn't understand why he had five pairs of goggles. And I, it was just curious to me. And so I could, uh, my curiosity, you know, I couldn't put it together. I wasn't attaching the fact that it was rainy and sloppy on the track and he was riding a horse and the other horses were putting mud in his face and he needed lots of goggles. So I had to Google it. <laughs> and I finally understood what was going on. And the, the basic idea is, right, um, if you have mud in your face, you're not gonna win the race. So they got five pairs of goggles and during the race, they pull those things down so they have clear vision and they can see the field. They know where the other horses are, the other jockeys are, and they can move around so that they have a better chance of winning the race. Mud on your goggles, right? Mud in your face, you're not gonna win the race. The same is true for us. As our eyes stay clear and open to the beauty and the wonder and the glory around us, we will be able to see what is most real and we will be able to finish the race. So how do we open our eyes to beauty and wonder? How do we do this? Well, there's five spiritual disciplines that I wanna give you this morning to suggest to you that you can take that are practical that maybe you could even put into practice today. But this idea of spiritual disciplines, why do we do these things? We do these things to focus in on God's presence and his invitations in the midst of our circumstances. This is a sloppy world, is it not? This is a muddy world. There's a lot of stuff being thrown around and we get it in our face a lot. I live in a sloppy house, you do too, all right? We all do, we know what it's like for our eyes to get clouded because of the circumstances, the situations in our lives. So how do we clean the mud off our face clear our eyes and move forward and focus on God's presence and invitations in the midst of these circumstances. The first is we open our eyes to God in three persons. This is the practice of scripture meditation. One of my favorite authors, Eugene Peterson says this, a lot more is going on in the world than I'm conscious of when I'm disappointed or hurt or frustrated or embittered. 
the feelings that I have at any one moment, while important and actual, cannot be interpreted accurately apart from the context of what God, God is doing at the same moment. Meditation is an intensification of awareness or perception. When the focus of meditation is narrowly bound by feelings of self-pity, the self in isolation, the result is an intensification of misery. But if the focus is on God's presence and his invitations in the midst of our feelings, the result is a magnification of grace. This is the essence and the idea of the practice of scripture meditation. And the reason I say open our eyes to God in three persons, there's so much to meditate on in scripture. Let's just start with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, okay? Easy place to start. Psalm 19, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. When we open our Bibles, God wrote a book. And when we open our Bibles, it gives us an intensification of awareness of what is going on in our lives. We're able to see things from an eternal, relational, supernatural perspective as we look at God's words, because that's where he lives. That's where he lives. So just consider the Trinity. If you, if you do a simple Google search on God as Father and just look at the scriptures that come up, he knows what you need before you ask. He clothes the flowers and he feeds the birds and aren't you much more valuable than they are? One of my favorites in Psalm 68, he is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families and he leads out the prisoners with singing. Just reading that text intensifies our awareness of who he is and it gives us perspective on our circumstances. It lifts up our heads. It opens our eyes. God as Jesus, as the son, right? I encourage you, read the account of Jesus' baptism sometime and just meditate on what happens in this scene. And then as he is, uh, he, he, goes off into the wilderness and is tempted by Satan. Read that, meditate on that. Let that intensify your awareness of who he is and how he is relating to you. God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, I will ask the Father and, and he will give you another advocate. You have an advocate in the crappiest parts of your life. You have an advocate present with you. He's the Holy Spirit. Do not forget he is with you. We have an advocate to help you and be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. Open your eyes to the presence of the Holy Spirit, but you know him. He lives with you. He will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Meditation is an intensification of awareness. It is an opening of our eyes and hearts by closing of our eyes. It intensifies the awareness as we think of these truths, we, we lose the distractions. God opens our hearts and opens our eyes to his realities. The second, open your eyes to God in you. 
a church in South Carolina, their, their vision statement is, we love God completely, we love ourselves correctly, and we love others compassionately. I love that. Because I think a lot of times in our churches, we forget that middle piece. Yes, we wanna love God completely, and yes, we're gonna love others compassionately, but we forget to love ourselves correctly. We forget to love ourselves as God loves us. We forget to see ourselves as God sees us. We are created in his image, created for the giving and receiving of love. You are worthy of love. You are valuable. You are gifted. Your presence in this church and in this community makes a difference. Open your eyes to God's work in you. There's a great little book that I use a lot. It sits on my desk. It's a children's book, all right? But it's printed for adults. It's called The Story of God's Love for You. And God has used that little book in my life so many times to just remind me. It's basically just a kid's Bible. It's the stories of the Bible written from the perspective of helping us see how God is loving us in the midst of all of this this big, this big grand story. It's super simple, super easy. I encourage you, pick something up like that. Let that encourage you and minister to you as you understand and be, wanna see yourself correctly. Love yourself correctly as God loves you. It helps me see myself as God sees me. The third, open your eyes to God and others. So yeah, open your eyes and see God's work in you, but, but don't miss the work that he's doing in others around you, Right? This is the spiritual practice, the discipline of community and friendship. And I don't mean just socializing, right? I mean true spiritual community and spiritual friendship where we push one another and toward Christ, where we, where we, we have difficult conversations, where we're able to be vulnerable, to quit protecting ourselves, to not hide behind the masks of social media or, or whatever it may be, but to actually be real. It's a spiritual discipline. It doesn't happen naturally. It's, you have to be intentional. It is a result of supernatural living. But when we do this, 1 John 4 says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. Our eyes will be opened to spiritual and, and supernatural realities as we learn to live and love one another. What do you see when you look into the eyes of a homeless woman or man walking down the sidewalk? What do you see when you look into the eyes of the guy who cut you off in the grocery line? Or the office colleague who's taking credit for your hard work? Do you see someone to pity, someone to tolerate, someone to despise, or do you see the face of Christ? Someone created in his image. Someone who was created for relationship. Someone who's longing for relationship. Someone who desperately needs to hear the gospel. Open your eyes to God and others. And as a caveat, open your eyes to the glory of God in the creativity of others. I was struck by this this morning as I walked into the gallery in this, this new art exhibit that we have. How beautiful 
these pictures are. They're powerful. I encourage you, take some time and enjoy them and, and, and let your eyes be open to the creativity of others or the glory of God in the creativity of others. I'm so grateful for Michael Winters and his team and the work of Sojourn Art. They do this for us on a regular basis. This building is an example of that. Enjoy this. Open your eyes to the glory of God in the creativity of others around you. Next, open your eyes to God in history. This is the spiritual practice of remembering. The spiritual practice of remembering. Psalm 77, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. Remember what God has done. Remember who he is in history. Maybe you need New Year's remembrances rather than New Year's resolutions. I don't read a lot of Socrates, nor do I ever quote him, really. I don't think I've ever quoted him in my life. But this morning, we get to hear from Socrates. 370 BC, you ready? He warns the people of the day about the downside of this newfangled invention called writing things down. Right? I read that and I was like, what? Here's what he says. It's, it's kind of profound, so, so hear it. For this invention will produce forgetfulness in the minds of those who learn to use it because they will not practice their memory, their trust in writing produced by external characters, which are no part of themselves, will discourage the use of their own memory within them. My, have we come a long way, right? Our brains exist outside of us in a computer or on a phone, on the internet, right? I backed up all of my pictures to the cloud last night on Google Pictures because they have great commercials, right? where that little thing pops up and it says, your phone is full. That happens to me all the time and it drives me nuts. And so they did that on their commercial over and over. They did it like seven times, eight times. And finally I was like, I got the message. I downloaded the app. I think we're like 3000 pictures in. I don't know how many more we gotta go. Isn't that nuts? Our memories exist outside of us. I have an app called Time Hop, right? Where it shows me like what I posted on social media like seven years ago. And I'm getting better. I'll just say that. My pictures are getting better. And my Instagrams are getting way better than they used to be, right? I guess my camera's a little better too. But what struck me as I was looking at this and thinking through this spiritual discipline of remembering is I don't remember half of the things that I actually did seven years ago on social media because I wasn't present, right? I was taking a picture. I wasn't actually paying attention to what was going on. I was on my phone typing some awesome thing or quoting some awesome author or taking a picture of my kids instead of actually being present with my kids. We do the same thing in our spiritual lives as well. We miss what God is doing because we're so preoccupied. We have our heads down, our eyes are muddied by our circumstances. We need to clean off the mud. We need to be present and learn to use our memories. I'm not saying throw your computer away, okay? I'm thankful that people learn to write things down. I couldn't memorize all of this. I want to, but I'm thankful I have it. But we need to work on our memory. We need to tell our story out loud. When's the last time that as a discipline, intentionally, 
you told your story to someone that you love and trust. Maybe you assume they already know it all. Maybe you're afraid to tell it, but it's a discipline to tell your story. Singing is remembering, right? We're singing a story. We're singing a truth from our, from our hearts, from our minds, with our words. We're telling a story. It's the practice of remembering. In fact, in 2017, we're actually gonna take the screens down and we're gonna all memorize the songs. I'm just kidding. Dude, every service y'all have panicked. It's like, it's so bad. People are like, he's for real. I'm not, all right? But what a good discipline that would be to memorize the words to some, the lyrics to some songs. I'm always amazed when I go to weddings and we get out on the dance floor. Number one, I don't know how to dance. And number two, I don't know any of the songs, all right? I just do it because it's fun and people laugh at me and that, you know, whatever, makes me feel good. And so, but I'm always amazed that everybody knows all the lyrics. It seems like so many people know all the lyrics to these songs. And I'm like, I've never even, I don't know where you hear them. I don't know. I don't know how it works. Like maybe I don't listen to the right radio or something. I don't know. But it's so awesome to me when they're all singing all the same songs. I'm like, I've never heard the song, but they all know it. It's in their minds, in their hearts. Let's do that. Let's do that with the gospel. Let's do that with God's work in our lives. Let's tell the stories. Let's remember. Write new songs. Lastly, open your eyes to God in creation. This is the spiritual discipline of making space. Open your eyes to God in creation. One of the reasons we miss beautiful blue skies and rainstorms and mountains and trees and leaves and grass and flowers is because we just don't have space. And how beautiful is it when we do make the space and we do notice those things? I love it when I notice those things. It opens my eyes to what God is doing around me rather than letting me focus just on my own pain and misery. It's an intensification of awareness when I see God in creation. The heavens declare the glory of God, right? I see the stars, we sang earlier. I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, how great thou art. It's a spiritual discipline to make space and to notice God in creation. As we lift up our heads in a heads down world, as we open our eyes to the supernatural, to the eternal, to the relational. Our hearts and our eyes will be open to the beauty and the wonder of God's love. And our greatest treasure will be his kingdom. And where our treasure is, our hearts will follow. So let us open our eyes. Let us lift our heads to what God is doing around us. When I was a kid, we used to sing this song in church Still one of my favorite old hymns today. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. The first verse says like, it starts like this. Oh soul, are you weary and troubled? 
No light in the darkness you see. There is light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Every week, we have an opportunity to have a vivid and real and very concrete picture to look at to turn our eyes upon Jesus. It's called communion. Don't take this for granted that we get to enjoy this every week. It's it's calling us back. It's centering us in. It's lifting our head, clearing the mud off of our eyes. Jesus gave us this symbol. He gave it to his disciples and he passed it down to us. He he said, "When when you get together, break bread. And when you break it, remember that this is my body broken for you given for you. Remember, I love you. He took a cup of wine, he blessed it, and he said, this this wine symbolizes my blood that seals a new covenant between you and God. Every time you drink this wine, you eat this bread, he said, you're announcing my death until I return. I am coming back. But we forget because we put our heads down. Our eyes get clouded, get unhealthy. Let us open our eyes. Let our bodies be filled with light. Let us lift our heads and store up heavenly treasure and let this communion this morning, let it be a symbol, a a picture to open your eyes. Our tradition here at Sojourn is we we will serve communion in the front and in the back and in the balcony. You can come forward. uh, You can break off a piece of the bread, dip it in the juice or the wine. The cup of wine is marked with a piece of twine. We will have gluten-free communion here to my left and you're right as well. We will pray and then you can come forward as you're ready.